Have you ever thought about how amazing it is to be able to communicate verbally with people around you? You know, there are many creatures all around this world, uh, many, many different types of species, but humans are the only ones who have the ability to communicate verbally in a very precise way with others. I mean, we can tell, talk with other people about the things that we're thinking in our minds. We can talk with people about things that we did during the day. We can, we can talk with people about dreams for the future. The ability to communicate verbally is, a, is an amazing uh, attribute. It's an amazing ability. And I think oftentimes that we take that for granted. Over the last year or so, I've been reminded in fresh ways of how we shouldn't take for granted the ability to communicate verbally. And I've been reminded of this in my son, Micaias. Um, over the last year or so, he's been gaining an ever-increasing vocabulary. It started out pretty simple. Um, one of the first phrases that he really liked was big truck. And he would be saying, big truck, big truck, big truck, everywhere we went. Uh, anytime you'd see a truck go by, he would say big truck. He still uses that phrase a lot, but his vocabulary has grown. And his phrases have grown too. too. So now he speaks in sentences. Uh, sometimes it seems like paragraphs or whole books that he's trying to speak now. Um, and one of the things you probably know from children as they are learning to speak is that they oftentimes say things that are incredibly funny. Um, I mean, a couple of the things that have happened recently in our house that, that just show how amazing it is when someone is learning how to speak. Um, I like to read, and a couple days ago I had a book on a table with a highlighter next to it. And Micaiah saw the highlighter, and he picked it up and asked, What's this? And I said, It's a highlighter. And he, he looked at it and thought for a second, and he said, uh, Light hider. I said, No, highlighter. Light hider. And then, then I said, no, it's a highlighter. And then he, he finally realized, yes, it is a highlighter after all. Um, a couple of months ago, I was eating uh, bratwurst for lunch. And uh, he asked, what are you eating? And so I think it was Shelly who said at that point, daddy's eating a hot dog. Now, when you think about a hot dog, um, you can think about how it might be a little bit confusing for a little kid. And so you can see the gears in his mind beginning to turn as he was trying to process what is a hot dog. And then a few seconds later, here's what he said. Not a cat. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, yes, you were right, Micaiah, the hot dog is not a cat. And then that led into a fairly lengthy explanation, trying to verbalize to a two-and-a-half-year-old that a hot dog is not actually a dog either. Um, it's just some name. I don't know where that name came from. Um, but, you know, little kids, as they're learning how to talk, I mean, it's quite hilarious oftentimes. And other times, things that little kids can say just melt your heart. A couple of days ago, I was uh, finishing, we were finishing up breakfast, and I was in the kitchen cleaning up. Micaiah, unprovoked by anything that I could see, walked over to me, hugged my leg, gave my leg a kiss, and said, I love you, Daddy. I mean, that's, and it just melted my heart. But these are little pictures of the way that words can work in our lives. They can make us laugh hysterically. They can melt our hearts, or as we get older and words become more and more powerful, words can also break our hearts. In God's perspective, words that we speak are very, very important. And that's the topic that we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, because words are powerful. They can be powerful for good. They can also be powerful in a very negative way. I invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 3. Today we're beginning our 
our, our series called Follower Apps. And we're walking through the book of James. Today, like I said, we're in James 3. If you didn't bring a Bible but, but would like to follow along, you can get a Bible from the pew or the chair in front of you. Follower Apps is all about growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at practical application points we can make to our lives to grow as those followers of Jesus. And James, he doesn't mince words at all in here. And he gives some very direct teaching on how we can grow as followers of Christ in our day-to-day lives. There are 108 verses in the book of James. In those 108 verses, there are 54 commands of how we ought to live and, and speak and think in our lives. So like I say, he does not mince words. And that's definitely true in this passage we're looking at today about how to use our words wisely in our relationship with others. Um, as we prepare our hearts to look in this passage, will you please pray with me that God will be our teacher this morning. Lord, we pray that as we open your word to learn about how we can use our words effectively and wisely, we pray that you will give us wisdom, and that you will be our teacher through your spirit and through, uh, through your word, uh, that we may grow and again, in, in using our words wisely. We confess that there are many ways that we are careless with our words, but we pray that this time will be effective in helping us to grow as followers of Christ who use words wisely to build others up. In Jesus' name, amen. The main point that I want us to see in this passage is that words are very, very powerful. So we need to speak wisely. Words are incredibly powerful, so we need to speak very wisely. And James starts out in verses 1 and 2 uh, in a kind of a unique way to start, but he says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, we're just going to spend about a minute and a half on these first two verses, and then we're going to move on to the meat of the passage. It is kind of interesting that James starts by talking about teachers when the rest of the passage is about how we, all of us as followers of Christ, should use our words. But it's important to recognize that teachers operate in the world of words, in writing, and especially in verbal teaching oftentimes. And so teachers will be held accountable for how they communicate God's word to other people um, in their own words. And he says that we all stumble in many ways in verse 2. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, uh, able to keep his whole body in check. Now, I think that what James is doing here is, is kind of overstating his case a little bit to make a point on how incredibly hard it is to keep your tongue under control. And he's saying that if someone is able to keep their tongue in check, then they will have the ability to keep their whole body in check. Because the tongue, he says, is the hardest thing to control of all of our body parts, to bring, to bring that under the lordship of Christ. And he goes on to tell why. And we're going to break this passage into three parts, but most of our time is going to be spent on the first part, which is found in verses 3 through 6, which talks about how our words have incredible power. I don't think it's possible to overstate the power that is contained in our words, both for good and for evil. James says in verse 3, When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, But it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set in fire by a small spark. 
The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set in fire by hell. So James, like I said, he does not mince words here at all. He's getting right to the point. He takes a very negative view of the tongue, but he's really talking here about how powerful the tongue is. He starts out by using two examples. Um, they're, They're really similes, which he's trying to show how the tongue, even though it's very small, Yields a, or wields a very disproportionate influence. It's small in size, but it's huge in power and influence. And he does so, by, first of all, by pointing to a bit that's put in the mouth of a horse. You have a bit that's not a very big piece of metal. It goes across the horse's mouth, and it's held in place by the bridle. And when that bit is in place, it enables the rider to turn the horse wherever the rider wants to go. I mean, that's how horses, that's how people who ride horses do that. And the bit is very small. A horse is a very large, powerful animal. But that small bit in the mouth of the horse is able to control where the animal is going to go. James says it's the same with the rudder on a ship. Think about the battleship in that picture. A massive, massive ship. And the rudder that you see there on that battleship, when it's in dry dock, is actually relatively, it's very small in comparison with the large ship. But it doesn't take a very big rudder on a ship or on a boat in order to turn that boat where it needs to go. Rudders are small. Bits are small. The tongue is small. But they all wield incredible influence and power. Now I want to take a moment here uh, to kind of step away from this passage for just a minute. James, like I said, takes a very negative view on the power of the tongue, on how it can negatively influence people around us. But I want to take a moment and talk about how, the, how our words have tremendous potential for good as well. Uh, one of the things I look at is Jesus and how he used his words. He was incredible at building people up around him with his words. I think, for instance, of Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And he's asking them, so who do people say that I am? And Simon, who is one of uh, Jesus' followers, said, you are the... Or, Well, Simon answered that some people say John the Baptist, some a prophet. Then Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Simon said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. He goes on to say that on this rock, he will build his church. What we need to recognize is that Peter was not Simon's birth name. Simon's birth name was Simon. And Jesus, at this point, Matthew chapter 16, is giving Peter the name Peter. Peter, in the original language that they were speaking in, Peter meant rock. And up to that point in in Simon's life, he was anything but a solid rock. I mean, he'd given up everything to follow Christ, but still his life was full of ups and downs. He was, I mean, I don't know if he was fully emotionally unstable, but he was capable of sticking his foot in his mouth a lot and saying things that probably should have never been said and doing things that never should have been done. His life was full of ups and downs. And here Jesus is speaking um, with vision and affirmation into Simon's life, saying, you're no longer going to be uh, topsy-turvy, all, all up and down, all over the place. From now on, you're going to be a rock. You're going to be Peter, and you're going to be one of the pillars in the early church that is going to help shape the course of Christianity throughout the rest of the time. I mean, that was a, a time of vision, a time of affirmation, a time of encouragement 
where Jesus was speaking that vision and encouragement and affirmation into Peter's life. I think as well of John chapter 8, um, where Jesus is encountering the woman caught in adultery. And, I mean, this woman, up to this point, has probably had men who either just want to use her and abuse her or else look down on her. And the religious leaders of the day had caught this woman in some sort of adulterous act, and they drag her out into the streets where they encountered Jesus, and they asked Jesus, what should we do with her? They wanted to stone her to death. And Jesus um, did, did a few little actions that caused all the, all the religious leaders to leave so that uh, there wasn't anyone else there but Jesus and this woman. And it says that Jesus turned to the woman in John 8 and asked, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I mean, think of what it would be like to be in that woman's shoes. How no man had ever looked at her with mercy before. Like I said, they either wanted to use and abuse her, or they looked down at her because of her sinful lifestyle. And here is Jesus validating her, saying that, that you are precious in God's sight. He's giving her mercy and grace, and she desperately needed it. I mean, think about how life-giving those words would have been. And I think we can all look into our own lives and see how life-giving words um, have been in our lives, too, spoken from others. I mean, I think, for example, of uh, when I graduated from seminary. Uh, a, a practice, a tradition at, at my seminary is after the graduation in the auditorium, uh, all the professors go out and make this little tunnel that you walk through where professors are lined up on each side and all the graduates walk through there. And as, as I was going through that, um, I saw one of my favorite professors, John Nyquist. I'd served as a graduate assistant for him for several years. I walked up to him uh, just to thank him for all that he had meant to me through those years. And he reached out, put his hands on my shoulders, and spoke incredible words of encouragement and affirmation to me. I mean, I wasn't looking for that that day, but he was just telling me how he'd seen God work in me and how he believes that God's, God's prepared me to serve as a pastor and that God's going to continue to work through me. And, and I don't think about those words a whole lot, but when I do, they offer an incredible source of encouragement and affirmation from a man who I really respected. I think about parents and the influence that parents have on children. Ingrid, uh, for you, you just dedicated Eric to the Lord. For you, words that you use in your relationship with Eric are going to be incredibly important in shaping the course of his life. And it's true in the same way for every parent. That, that I think parents, we oftentimes forget the power of words in the lives of our children. But our children definitely, de desperately need our words of affirmation, our words of encouragement, our words of saying, you know what, I'm proud of you. I love you. It's too easy to go through life and assume that our children know that. But they need us to tell them that. I mean, we oftentimes think, well, they'll know from my actions. Dr. Nyquist um, had a saying. He used it in terms, in the context of sharing the gospel with others, but I think it's true in almost all realms of life. He said that actions speak louder than words, which is a, a very common phrase. He said actions speak louder than words, but words speak more clearly than actions. We really need the words and the actions, and that's, I want to use that as an encouragement and an exhortation for all of us who are parents, and really for all of us who have any form of influence over anyone, 
whether you are a coach somewhere, whether you're a teacher, whether you help out with Sunday school, whether you are a supervisor or a boss of anyone at work, any, sort of, any form of influence you have over anyone or even friendships, don't assume that people um, know that you care for them just based on your actions. Make sure that you tell them, and especially make sure if you're a parent, make sure you tell your kids that you love them. Our children need to know that they are valued by their parents. And when we do that, we speak encouragement and affirmation and even vision into their lives that helps mold them into uh, growing men and women who will love God, be responsible, honor their parents, honor those around them. My birthday was about a month ago. And um, as usual, I got a card from my parents. Uh, But there was a note in the card from my dad. And it was so encouraging to me um, that I immediately took that note out of the card and stuck it in my prayer journal. I see my prayer journal every day. I put it in there so that I'd be able to read it on a regular basis because it's so encouraging to me. And I mean, he wrote a number of different things, but I want to read to you the last line in there because I think this illustrates the power that a parent has in the life of their child. He wrote in the last line, God has blessed me greatly with you as my son. I love to you, Dad. I mean, I hear that, and, and I think of other times where he's written or said, I'm proud of you. Um, or I love you. And, and those words are words that no matter how old the child is, they need to hear those words. And it's amazing how when we speak words of affirmation and encouragement and vision in other people's lives, it can really make them come alive. So words can be incredibly powerful for good, but words can also be very powerful in a negative direction as well. And that's what James is focused on here. He, he compares words with the little spark that creates a great forest fire. He goes on in verse 6 to say, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of life on fire, and it itself, and is itself set in fire by hell. Now Jesus, or Peter here, not Peter. How many different people can I go through? James definitely does not take a very kind view of words because he knows the destructive power of words that are misused. He, can, he, he, he ties our words and our tongue to hell itself. Now, I think it's helpful to understand a little bit of the first century context here in which G- James is writing. When he, when this, the word for hell is literally the word Gehenna. Gehenna referred to a garbage dump that was to the south of Jerusalem. It was literally called the Hinnom Valley. This was a place where residents of Jerusalem would take their trash, their garbage, anything they didn't want. They'd dump it into this valley. And on a regular basis, uh, this valley would be set aflame to burn all the garbage that's down there. And this helps give us a picture of how James is picturing our words and our tongue. Because he's saying that just as you have times where you have the garbage down there in the valley and it's caught on fire and you see smoke, this, this terrible putrid smelling smoke rising from the garbage dump, I mean, that's nasty. He says it's the same way with our words oftentimes. That when, when nasty words are coming out of our mouths, what it is is an indication that there is garbage in our heart that is being set on fire. And the words are just the overflow of a nasty heart. Just as the smoke rising above that garbage dump is the overflow of the fire burning that garbage. Our words can be very... Um, very nasty, very devastating at times. Now, words are very small things. 
But once they get out, they can be very hard to contain and they can cause big problems. He likens uh, our words to a little spark or a little flame. Now, this is a relatively small flame, isn't it? But we all know that if I drop this, it could create a lot of damage in the sanctuary. And if you know much of the history of Freedens, you're probably hoping I put this thing out pretty soon. There's a glass of water back there. I think we're safe right now. Yeah, back in 2002, lightning struck the steeple here at Freedens, started a fire that pretty much destroyed the inside of the sanctuary. And it took a lot of money and a lot of time to rebuild the sanctuary. But do you know that words are even more destructive in people's lives if used in a bad way than a fire is to a sanctuary? It, it can take a while to rebuild a church or another building that's destroyed by fire. But if through gossip or slander or backstabbing or just harsh criticism and constant complaining, negative words used in a bad way that aren't, that aren't used wisely can damage someone even more than a fire can damage a building. I mean, it's that classic children's line, that sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but words can never hurt me. It's one of the biggest lies of all time. Because we all know that words can damage someone very deeply. I know that a lot of us are carrying around scars um, of things that people have said some, sometime in the past without even knowing they said it at times. But they created scars and wounds that are with us to this day. So we need to recognize that words have incredible power, so we need to use them wisely. James goes on here in this passage to talk about how, you know what, our words are very difficult to control too. He says in verses 7 and 8, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And he's saying it's really hard to control the tongue. And I think we all probably know that from experience. I have a question for you this morning. How many of you think that you could go for the next 24 hours without saying a single unkind word to anyone or about anyone? Raise your hand if you think you could do that 24 hours. I see a little bit of laughter up here. Um, see a few hands going up and some smiles. Um, there was a rabbi named Joseph Telushkin. He wrote a book a number of years ago called Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. And he goes around the country speaking to groups of people about words and their power and their influence to either hurt people or to help people. And he oftentimes will ask the crowds gathered there that question I just asked you. How many of you think you go 24 hours without saying an unkind word to anyone or about anyone? And he gets a response that is something like this. He'll usually push a little bit harder. Uh, Sometimes, I mean, you'll have a few people who will bravely raise their hand. You'll have some people who will just laugh like, there's no way. And, and some people will, in these crowds will often say, no, we can't do that. But listen to this rabbi's response to people who say that. He said, those who can't answer yes to this question must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you cannot go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're an alcoholic. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. Similarly, if you cannot go 24 hours without saying unkind words about others, then you have lost control over your tongue. And I think all of us at times have experienced that loss of control over our tongue that causes us to say things that really should never have been said in the first place. But we have to recognize that once a word escapes our mouths, 
there's no way we're going to be able to pull it back in. Our words can have a very powerful but negative influence. You know, it's kind of cute when children don't have a filter on their mouths. Um, I mean, as my son has demonstrated this service. Um, it's it's kind of cute when they don't have a filter on their mouths and they say whatever comes to mind. Sometimes it's mildly embarrassing. I mean, there are stories of what Micaiah has said that I probably wouldn't repeat up here, even though they're really cute and make us laugh like crazy, um, just as he's talking about bodily parts and stuff like that. It's cute and sometimes mildly embarrassing when little kids don't have a filter on their mouths. But when we grow up and we still don't have a filter on, that, on our mouths, it wreaks incredible havoc on those around us and on ourselves. And, and James closes out this passage by saying that our words ultimately display what's going on inside of us. He says in verse 9, With the tongue we praise the Lord, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? The answer is no. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? No. Or a grape, grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He's saying that, that the fruit of something is consistent with its source. And what he's doing is pointing to that if we come here on Sunday mornings and are singing praises to God, but then an hour or two after leaving here are complaining harshly about someone else or beginning to gossip about someone else, or if we're driving down the road and we're singing praise songs along with the radio or the CD player or the MP3 player, and then someone cuts us off and we let out some curse word or, or we're just angry at them and, and doing whatever else, that it's unkind, it's showing that there's a problem there. There's a lack of integrity because it's showing that we ultimately don't just have a tongue problem, we have a heart problem. Because the product is consistent with the source. Jesus himself said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that means if you see someone or you see yourself and you have stuff coming out of your mouth in the form of words that are um, unhealthy and unkind towards others, that means you don't just have a problem with controlling your tongue. You have serious issues with your heart and with your mind and how you are thinking about others. You think about that, that bit on the bridle of the horse. Yes, that bit is what can turn the horse in one direction or another. But the bit is not ultimately who's in control, hopefully. Hopefully it's the rider who has the reins in his hand who's controlling the bit that controls the horse. Think of a rudder on a ship. Yes, the rudder is what turns the ship. But there's a captain standing in the wheel of the ship who turns the wheel, which turns the rudder, which turns the ship. It's the same thing. We have a control center in our, in our bodies, which is our minds, metaphorically our hearts, that is controlling what comes out of our mouths. And so if we have a lot of gossip or slander or, or harsh criticism or complaining consistently coming out of our mouths, it's not just a problem with our tongues or our words. It's a problem with our heart. And so if we want to have more kind words come out of our mouths that build others up rather than tear them down, we ultimately need to address our hearts. And that's what I want to close today with, is four application points that we can make to our lives to help us grow in, in expressing kind words to others that come out of a heart full of grace and mercy and love. The first thing, each one of these is going to go a little bit deeper in terms of how it applies to our hearts. The first thing is really just a filter on, on our mouths. And that's the principle of being slower to speak. Oftentimes when we speak harsh or unkind words or gossip, it's because we're speaking before we're thinking. 
We need to reverse that. that instead of speaking before we th- we're thinking, we need to think before we speak and ask ourselves, is this something that's going to be edifying? Is this going to be kind? Is this true? Is this going to build others up or is it going to tear them down? Do I have any business sharing this in the first place anyway? So we need to think before we speak. And no, don't speak so quickly. Secondly, examine our influences. We have things that are influencing our hearts and our minds, and those influences are shaping the way that we process life. If we're around people who are constantly gossiping or are complaining about everything or are just really harsh with people around them and unkind, odds are good we're going to begin to adopt that same mentality. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. And if we're watching TV shows that fill our minds with garbage and with um, gossip and, and stuff like that, that's going to influence us too. Same with, I mean, if we're on Facebook and, and the stuff we're seeing on Facebook is full of gossip and harsh words, again, that's going to influence us. So we need to examine our influences and be willing to change what's being put into our lives so that what's coming out of our hearts and out of our mouths is different too. Thirdly, and this goes even deeper, do loving actions to others. You know, there's, there are some people in our lives who we're just annoyed with or who we genuinely don't like or who we've been hurt by and we really don't like them then. And we think, how can I possibly love them or speak any kind words to them or about them? Well, C.S. Lewis, a Christian author in the mid-1900s, speaks to this. I want to read what he says. He says, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And as soon as uh, we do this, we find out one of life's great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. The worldly man treats certain people kindly because he likes them. The Christian, trying to treat everyone kindly, finds himself liking more and more people as he goes along, including people he could not even have imagined himself liking at the beginning. I think there's a lot of truth in this that you know what, there are times where it's hard to really like someone or it's hard to speak kind words to them or about them. We can't manufacture feelings and sometimes it's, it's hard to say kind words about people, but we can do actions that show love, that show kindness, that show grace. And if we begin to do that, even to people who we don't like or who we don't get along with, that, that will begin to change our mindset towards them. It'll soften our hearts. And help us to love them more so that then our words towards them and about them will be more kind as well. And the final application, which goes the deepest of all, is apply the gospel to our lives. The gospel is all about how God, out of his love for us while we were yet sinners, sent Christ to die for us so that we could have life. We were separated from God, but God demonstrated his love through mercy and grace and, and love and compassion. And, and as we internalize the gospel in our lives and accept God's grace and love and mercy in our lives, it allows us to extend that same grace and mercy and love to others around us. I want to close by reading out of Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 29, which tie, where Paul ties our words to the gospel. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you.
Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Here, I mean, Paul is saying very clearly, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only say the things that are going to build others up. He says, don't be angry. Don't let bitterness and, and, and brawling and slander be on your lips. And the motivation for all this is the gospel. That Christ loved us, so we're called to love others. That Christ forgave us, so we're called to forgive others. And it's ultimately by applying the gospel to our lives and extending the gospel to other people around us that we are going to be empowered to love people in action, in thought, and in our words. My prayer is that we will be men and women who build others up as we speak wisely rather than tearing others down as we speak unwisely. Our words have tremendous power. May we use them in a way that benefits others and builds God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, um, it's very convicting to read and hear about words because we recognize that we have all said things that should not have been said. But I also recognize, Lord, that we all carry around some degree of wounds in our lives uh, that result from careless words that others have spoken. God, for those of us who carry around those wounds and scars, please help us to hear your gospel of your love spoken into our lives. Our loving Heavenly Father loves us more than we can possibly imagine. But God, I pray that you'll help us to extend that love to those around us, that we may be men and women who build people up rather than tearing them down. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.